0: we <laughs> Welcome to today's episode of the Baco Sports Report and the live from Lake Balfour Podcast Network. It has been over seven months since I have said those very words to open a podcast, but it feels like yesterday and we are back and better than ever here on the Baco Sports Report. And as always, I am your host, Maddie Wasserman. We have an incredibly special episode coming up today. We will be talking with Greg and Danny Silver, who are undeniably the best historians of Baco basketball, and together we will com- be compiling our... Our first team, we will see who makes the cut as the top five Baco basketball players in recent history and who just misses the cut. We'll break it all down and so much more. But obviously, before we get to all of that fun stuff with Baco basketball history, I just want to touch quickly on the coronavirus. Obviously we hope you guys are all safe and healthy out there. We're putting together this podcast so we can have something fun to talk about and something that'll make everyone happy talking about camp. Hopefully we'll do a few of these over the next couple weeks. I know I have a Senior Leagues mock draft that I'm working on right now, so definitely stay tuned for that in a couple weeks. We'll have a lot of content about camp, but we just wanted to do this one first. We will be reaching across generations of Baco basketball players, so everyone get ready to defend the players from your era after you hear how it's all broken down by myself and the silvers so without further ado let's bring in greg and danny silver all right and now we are very happy to be joined here by greg and danny silver guys how you doing
1: doing okay maddie good to hear your voice doing great maddie we're excited to do some podcasts
0: all right guys so let's get right into it here so i want to start with this danny At awards night this year, when you presented Evan Glasser with Big Basketball, you said on stage that he was the best basketball player Baco had seen in 30 years. So my question to you is, is he the best basketball player we've ever seen at Baco? And, of course, who else is in that category, in that stratosphere with Glasser? So what we're going to do here, let's try to build our all-time Baco starting five, of course, you guys weren't around in the 60s, the 70s, early 80s to account for who played basketball on the courts at Baco back then. But you guys, it's safe to say, have been around for most of the recent history of Baco basketball, and there's no one better to do this with. So, Danny, I will start with you. If you're building the all-time starting five for Baco, who are you putting on that list?
1: Oh, wow. All right. So, obviously... (laughs) You know, I think I would be the expert on this topic, just being in camp, uh, you know, since 1987, basically living on the courts as a kid, being on the courts as a counselor, and then obviously running the basketball program. I've had a chance to basically watch Paco basketball through all sorts of eras, and I think right off the bat, and I'm going to try to reach through generations here, but right off the bat, obviously Glatzer... Makes the first name that comes to my mind. Um, it's a little history on Evan. He's a New York City kid who was dominant in his age group right from the start. Um,
0: and of course, if taller. you listened to this podcast throughout the summer, you would know that he was the most electrified player in camp by a wide margin.
1: Yeah, there's two different kinds of good there's like camp good and then there's actual good. Evan checks the actual good box where, um, <laughs>
2: you know, I saw Evan play some high school ball this year. I know he has aspirations to play
1: beyond high school, and he should. But as far as camp goes, I mean, and I, I did this all on awards night, but Evan, I don't think in the last two summers as, of his camper career, Evan played in any game, whether it be inter-camp, leagues, Adon- uh, you know, Timberlake, Grand Lake,
0: Echo Lake, wherever we were, <laughs> Evan was the best player on the, on, on the floor. Right, well, that's the um, thing you talk about with the transcendence of him as a basketball player, where I look at the fact that, all right, like, obviously he's going to be the best player in leagues. I mean, we can run down the list. You can name 20 people in the last 30 years who were clearly the best player in leagues or their age groups, tournament teams, whatever. But when you start going way out, you go to... Timberlake and you're playing 30 camps, whatever, like stuff like that, and you're still the best player, that's like a level yeah. that Bako very yeah, rarely I mean, sees. You know, 6-3 guards that can do
1: it all, don't grow on trees at camp. And You know what I said said about Evan, you know, the best thing about him is he's probably so fun to play with. 100%. Um, he's, he's an amazing teammate. He gets his teammates involved. He makes everybody confident around him just because he's so good, but also... You know, he shares the ball. He plays defense. He's unbelievably coachable. Referees never have problems with him. He literally checks every box when it comes to Yeah, I mean, he, he, he puts up Chamberlain type stats, but he wins like Russell. And it's his primary sport. It's not like he's getting a, a, you know, going to Penn to play lacrosse, but yet is the best basketball player at camp, unlike probably another guy on our list, Sandy Ower. Yeah. So just to wrap it up on Glasser... um, for the guys that have never
0: seen him play that are listening, just picture, I mean. Yeah, I would say that he's probably most similar to Giannis in his transition offense where he's able to just grab a rebound and push the ball up and he's like a freight train running down the court where you don't know to get in front of him because then he'll just blow by you and go coast for a layup or he'll kick it out to an open shooter because he's pretty unselfish. So that's really his element that resembles Giannis on a basketball court. But then when you get in the half court, you get into to start running a set offense all of a sudden, the closest comparable to me, at least, would be Durant because of his ability to just shoot over people and make those shots from any range. Because you have to consider, I mean, a six three guard. What I look at in total, is just how lethal that combination is when you're playing against a bunch of 5'9", 5'10 kids and all of a sudden you have, not only do you have 5 inches on them, but you're the best shooter on the court and you see the game at a different speed than everyone else does. It's just a lethal combination and ultimately it led to him being one of the most dominant players I think we've ever seen. Yeah, and, you know, I
1: saw Evan play some high school ball this year and it was no different, um, you know, indoors on the high school floor. He did the same exact stuff. So I think Kevin Glatzer, obvious, um, is on this list. Yes. Uh, you can go back in the podcast from the summer if you want to get more information on him. There's a lot but, of them. Uh, I think Greg uh, had the next guy named Sammy Ower, um, who was a waiter of 2000. Sammy Ower enters the Baco intercamp circuit well before he's supposed to. I mean, the guy was shaving in bunk nine. Yeah, because your... it was shaving. He was shaving in both nine, and then he also pitched in some crazy baseball tournament as a young kid. Yeah, so he was living in bunk fifteen as an upper intermediate camper, and he was our starting pitcher in our waiter inner camp. And it wasn't a starting pitcher in softball; he was throwing off a mound hardball pitches to sixteen year olds while he was living in bunk fifteen. It's
0: um, incredible, Greg.
1: Greg, you coached the Baco. Yeah, v- I co- four- I coached a, yeah, I coached. Yeah, I coached the Baco B v- 14s team at home. I want to say 1996, maybe. And yeah, was Sam, like, Sam, was 11 when he was a starting. Point. He was 11, and yeah, he was by he was the best player in the V team by far. He he almost gave us a shot in a couple of those games. Yeah. So, Samio, I think. Uh, so Sam, so Samio, just to give you a little track record on what he he did, he was uh, I think when he was 12 years old. So, going into 7th grade, he started on 14s, hit like a ton of 3s in a ridiculous game, that got moved up to the Dome, the old Dome, mid-game, and almost helped that group pull off like a massive upset. He he wasn't the best player on that team. I think like Josh Lemar was on that team, but Sammy was a starter. Then when he was 13... He was the he was on a fourteens team that was supposed to get drummed by everyone. And he put up Greg, would you say that was the greatest single day performance in video history? <laughs> I mean, the, there are people that were never that weren't even born during that time that feel like they were there because people still talk about it so much. Yeah. What? So Sammy was a thirteen year old in four teens with a basically a squad of all thirteen year olds. That the year before that group lost to Brent B. Wow. And,
2: uh,
1: they, so we're given no shot and Sammy O in front of the whole camp, we hadn't won the tournament, you know, in years, puts the whole team on, on his back, goes for, I think like 28, 28 and 30 in the last three games. We upset Brand in the finals. He puts on a show. I've never seen anybody catch fire like that in an intercamp before in my life. And he was 13. So there was a famous quote, Greg, who does that? What was it? I It's. it's I mean, who does that? Yeah, so the kid is putting a I mean, from 28, 28, and
0: 30. I mean, who does that?
1: And so, he was a year younger. <laughs> and he was a year
0: younger. So, so how do we so. compare errors in terms of? So obviously, when you talk about real basketball, you talk about like Jordan, LeBron, etc. You're talking about comparing errors with different play styles. Yeah, obviously, you're I, playing in the dome. You're playing versus now the Superdome. You have all this different stuff going on around camp. So how do you guys compare errors in the sense? Where I think,
1: I, think, I think there's other things that need to be measured, in it. also like what what Sammy did was kind of like what Magic and Bird did to the NBA. I mean, they, the NBA was 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 at the brink. It was good. It was like on tape delay in the finals, and then Magic and Bird they 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 saved the league. Sammy, Sammy Sammy S- S- might have saved Might have saved the world. Yeah, he I mean, might have saved the world. And he, <laughs> he he brought he brought championship attitude at Tobago which. Which which spawned other yeah, spawned amazing like other players. amazing things. Yeah, but also yeah. other amazing basketball players. I mean, his own his little brother Jake, who we might be talking about in a few minutes, and the Devere brothers, who have you know those guys are like Robert Ori. Or no, they're probably better. They have tons of rings and mm-hmm. were influential in so many tournament wins. And yeah, it was carried on Sandy's back. And so I think there has to be credit to to you know. Just giving rebirth to this this Baco golden era, and it's something that we sort of refer back to a lot. And whether or not he was the most talented or better than Glaser, I think it's hard to compare eras. But he he definitely brought the magic back. And I also think it's interesting that the first two guys we're talking about also just happened to be just amazing guys, and they were so yeah. friendly. And so yeah, they were they were they were weren't they, they, were, so they weren't the typical rah rah Bako, you know the you know, the intensity bleeds out from from your pores kinda bako of oh, kids. They were more silent, lead by example, not argue with the ref, shave it know, Have, as Bruno would say, have every have every reason to
0: be arrogant, but they're not. Now I would heart back to this, Greg. So you said that he was really able to bring the magic back. Now here's where I think that he really comes into similarities with Glasser in a lot of ways because the night where I believe, and I think we've talked about this before, Danny, the night I believe that Baco basketball had its renaissance in my era at camp. So you have to remember that when I came to camp in 2013, I mean, Baco was winning nothing. I mean, the finals, I remember, you're standing on the hill for 14s and you're watching Baco lose by 30. It's like Brant Lake was so far above Baco. And I believe that the time it really turned was that magical uh, 16s night game. Again, again. The, yeah. Yes, the game where yeah. everyone said there's magic in the air. It was in the Superdome. Um, yeah. You know, Ginsey so. hit a half-court shot and had, during halftime, and, you know, Bako just ran, ran out of the gym. Glatzer yeah. was some playing the, 16s um, as a 14. So, some of the guys
2: that played in that game, like Jake Cohen,
0: Jake Rubin, yeah. uh, Grant Pitkoff, Nate Bookfar, Evan
1: Glatzer, I mean, I always say that's that's when the script flipped. Two days before that, we were at 13s, and we got beat on, like, a back-breaking buzzer beater. And it was, like, what seemed like the 55th gut punch, you, you know, yeah. in a row. And it really couldn't bottom out anymore. And it was like, how, how many times is this going to happen? And then, you know, Evan came back towards the end of that summer, and everything kind of got put together. And that group, every, everything clicked that night, and we rolled them by, like, 30, a team that we were 0-3 against during the well, summer. Let's let's give credit where credit is due. I mean, Ginsey doesn't hit that shot. I don't think we're doing this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, but, I, I, um, was gonna, I was going to actually tell Maddie earlier today that I think we should do the podcast fully on
0: ginsey's shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. You know, Danny, when I look at the – Role reversal that we've really seen over the last few years. You just think back to a few years ago when Brantley had all that swagger and confidence, and they would just roll up and they'd you know bring four teams to fourteens, and then they would be chanting and on the hill. And we would be scared of all four of them. Yes, and you know you would be, be they watching. Were so in our heads. I would say, Maddie, the the biggest reason
1: uh, for the change is. Uh, other than Evan Gladzer and, and, like, the amazing players that go up and down the age groups in camp right now, whether it be, you know, um, you know, whether it be Eli Greenberger or whether it be Jaden Fisher-Dade or Miles Samuels or, you know... You even go
0: down to, like,
2: yeah. like, whoever it may be. Um,
1: just, and this is more to your comment about style of play. I think back in, like, the Sammy Ower days... There was a lot of, like, what plays are we going to run? Yeah. Who who has to do what? And I think, I mean, it sounds crazy, but just, like, the way the NBA, the way the game has opened up and it's, like, positionless basketball at the highest level – actually trickled down, believe it or not, to like the 7th grade intercamp level, too. And isn't that and Glatzers
0: like, specialty because you look at a guy like Glatzer and you look at what he's able to do on the court, you think about on defense, you know, he's banging with the bigs for Brant Lake and then he gets the rebound, he's going coast to coast and he Yeah.
1: I think I think eliminating cuz I think at bako we've always built up like the rivalry of Brad and like how intense the tournament's supposed to be and how and how this is the biggest day of the summer, the biggest day of your year. And it's like all that I think for all those years worked against us where we thought it was working for us. I think it always worked against us and just kind of diffusing that balloon and just like, you know what, just play ball and let our guys make plays and just eliminate the thinking and eliminate the complicatedness and just yeah, it's not. It's not a coincidence that we don't cramp up anymore. You know, we yeah. used cramp up. We don't cramp up anymore. Yeah. yeah. So-, so now you take the group that had Pickoff and Reuben and Cohen and you know and Nate McFarland, Gladzer, like we were talking about before. I think they were kind of the first group to kind of master the new. Just like let's not think, let's just play, and they kind of set the groundwork for the next couple age groups, like the the FEMA, Yo-Yo, Casher, Glatzer, Harold group, and then this one was uh, Glatzer and Brad, and, you know, and the guys a year younger, you know, Ben Cohen, Charlie Bookpart, and then, like, the Leo Hoffmans, the Josh Nadells, the Avi Pellets, the Eli Greenbergers. Right, and back to your
0: Um, point about pressure for women and the kind of that pressure cooker that's been built up at Baco, I think that, frankly, the entire camp and the, you know, basketball counselors and everyone is a little bit responsible for that with our age group because when you look at this uh, our age group and we're 11 and you're looking at them and you're like, this team has the chance to be these guys right here are, you know, Glatzer, Rab, Ben Cohen, Buckfar. You look at this team, Potters, when he was younger. You look at that team, and everyone said, like, you guys are going to be the age group. And they go to 11s, and they lose. They go to 12s. They lose in a heartbreaker at the Superdome in the finals. They lose 13s when Glatzer is hurt. And all of a sudden, that pressure cooker kind of goes off them because they're no longer going to be the magical age group, that kind of, like, mythical you know, group of guys yeah, who's going to bring it all I'm, back.
1: I, I think I'm talking about a different type of pressure. I just think the pressure that you're talking about is almost like the equivalent of like the media putting pressure on. It. Agreed, a but I think that's real you too.
0: Know? For Glazer, at yeah, for Glazer, at least. I'm talking about is the kind of just about actual basketball. like,
2: oh wait, am I doing the play the right way? Am I in the right? You know, am I doing this right? Am yeah, I of course. To the screen. You know, if all that thinking was working against
0: us because it was compiling with the media pressure that you're talking Agreed. about. Agreed, and I I, that's what I was going to gonna I say. We're to something here. I, I remember when I was a young kid at camp, the pressure
1: on foul basketball was so intense because you had the Greenberger brothers, you know, Scott and Petey and Eric and Onik. I mean, we're talking about Oscar Robertson, Lou Alcinder, you know. Yeah. We're talking about these old school guys that we only read about and and heard about, but yet, you know, they were counselors and the pressure to play good basketball was so intense. that that carried over for decades. You know, those guys were so good and they lived and breathed basketball and there was so much counselor hoops happening in that era. And -hmm. it was kind of like, if you wanted to be good, you had to put pressure on yourself. And sometimes that can backfire. When we talk about the guys that that Danny and you were – are you know Cohen and Ruben and the the Nadell, these guys they're just all such good kids and whether their best friends aren't necessarily even basketball players. You know, they're such good yeah. kids to everybody that basketball is just a fun activity with your friends and they happen to be super confident and good at it.
2: But
0: I'll say this, so, I think that yeah. the pressure that I'm talking about, which is kind of more external, and the one that you were talking about, Danny, more internally while you're in the game, I think those things go hand-in-hand in a lot of aspects because I think when you look at the whole camp being there, you know, something I've said a lot is, like, when you look at that Echo Lake finals that we were at uh, just this year, 16s, and, you know, maybe you have the B team for Brant Lake, you have the B team for Baco, and other than that, the people at Echo Lake are just, like, going around and minding their own business, there's virtually no one watching that game, in a lot of ways, that just lets you play basketball in a way that... Whether you're at Brant Lake and they have the toilet paper tradition and they're crowding the court. You're at Baco, you know, everyone's on the hill. When you look at those type of atmospheres, there's a lot of pressure that can be built up there. And I think just a lot of ways that you feel the need to live up to your expectations. And I think that that affects the type of pressure you're talking about, which is the one in the game. So I think it's all really related. But I want to go back to, we've kind of gotten sidetracked here now. Yeah, so we've now made two players even, through, so who else is on this, this list? Scratching the surface. I didn't come close to scratching the surface
1: on Sam. So so Sam O'Hart, who I'm still very friend, friendly with, most humble kid I've ever met, even he would be questioning the fact that we cut off his
0: accolades as quickly as we did. I mean, I only got through his 13-year-old summer. <laughs> of course, keep <laughs> going. So, so Sammy...
1: That summer, after he carried us to that fourteens win with that legendary performance, you know we then went into thirteens that year, hadn't won it in ten years, and we were and four of our starters on fourteens were thirteens, so we were going in as heavy favorites. Everybody knew who Sam was, um, and they set it. It was raining. They set up a single elimination tournament, and we had to play. And we had to play Brand C. Brant B, Brant A, in that order. And basically what they did was they basically practiced defenses up until the finals of what to do against Sam, and it was a single elimination on one court all day. (laughs) So the finals were actually after dinner. We stayed at Brant for dinner. And Sam didn't put on the performance he did in four teams, but it was like LeBron, you know, Now, Vincent, St. Mary, LeBron were like, no one was going to touch him. So we ended up winning that. So he brings home 14s and 13s that year. We come back the next summer. He's a 14-year-old. He wins 16s MVP. It's the first time we had won it in 14 years. He hits five consecutive threes in the finals. Wow. He's a 14-year-old. He's like an upper, upper Couser House kid playing with the big boys. Yeah. Yeah, and he hits five straight threes in the finals. We win by two. He backs it up by winning four teams at home again. And then we go to what was called ACC, even though it wasn't an ACC. Let's let's call it. Let's call it ACC for our guys yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. So he goes to that. He beats Brent and that we end up losing to Winnipeg in the finals who has like college players on their team. And you know the one knock I will put on Sam um was Sam then became a really great lacrosse player. Uh, Sam's actually a Horace Greeley graduate uh, also, Maddie.
0: Yeah. So so Sam, you know, became a big lacrosse guy. We mentioned
1: er- earlier Sam, you know, grew up kind of early. So by the time he was 16, while he was still without question the best player on the court, other people started to catch up to him. And unlike Evan, who basketball is his thing, Sam, it was some- it was probably his second sport. Yeah, um, so Sam didn't have his huge summer basketball wise as a waiter, so I think if I was comparing the two and had to split hairs, I think I'd give the edge to Evan Well, Sammy had the better early career because Evan, like you mentioned, 11, 12, 13s, right. he was either hurt or things didn't work out, but Evan I think had the better late career, and I think if you're looking for a tiebreaker you gotta give it to Evan.
0: Yeah, so um, who else do we have on well, the roster? we're playing
1: positionless basketball because Sammy, just like Evan, kind of was hand- handled the ball, but he also probably led our team in rebounds and was one of our bigger guys. So. Well, I find a lot
0: of times when you're just like an elite athlete who's a physical player, like you're just going to be the best player on the court in these camp inter camp matchups, right? Yeah.
1: So, are we going back into like the Scott Onik, Eric, Eric, Greg? But we, we didn't. Really uh, see I mean, that. you and I didn't really see it. I mean, we could give a little honorable mention, and you know, I don't think it's fair to. You know, it's like those books of basketball that you read when it has, like, Bob Pettit in the top. Yeah. We're, like, we're like, we never saw that guy, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, The, 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 the Onik, Dave Onick, the Greenberger brothers, and, you know, I, I think I heard a rumor that Rughead won MVP yeah, at the U.A. without yeah. scoring a point. I don't even know if that's true. That's yeah. a tall tale. That's like a Paul <laughs> Bunyan <onion> situation. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I would say if we're going, like, 19... 19- 91 and on kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Greg, what do you think? I, I mean, I... I a I couple, couple, of guy, couple, couple of guys are coming to mind. I think pure basketball player. I'm not looking at wins and losses with tournaments because, you know, you got to think about the supporting cast. Jeff J.D. Diamond was a heck of a ball player when he was older. He maybe peaked when he was already a counselor, but he was a really, really good basketball player when he was like 14, 15, 16 years old. But I think... Jake he, I, I, I love Jeff Diamond, but he's not at this level. Jake he's Jake a, Jake, Jake, Ohler, Jake might be our you know, our, our, our pivot. I think he he was so good and so much bigger than everybody and he won all these titles he had a great he had great backcourts. He was like Shaq while Shaq was being Shaq. So there was this yes. yes. parallel. Yeah, so so Jake O'er, Sammy's younger brother, obviously had a ton of pressure on him. Sammy was more of a guard that could do it all. Jake was your true wide-body center. Like Low-post low big man. And he had unbelievable hands, was the best passer in camp, was the biggest kid in camp, was so unstoppable. The only way you, you could stop him was if the, referees, is if the referees didn't call fouls. Um, so Jake kind of got a slower start, but once Jake, I think, hit age 13, he started dominating. I know he – Won 14s twice. He won 16s twice. Um, he was mass. I mean, he, he 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 was massive. I mean, he was probably the only guy at the opposing camps were like, well, if he plays well, there's nothing we we can do. Right. It was like that. Exactly, it was like at, at least with Evan or Sam, you could hope they don't shoot well. Jake was taking layups. And then if you fouled him, he'd go seven for nine from the free throw line, or he'd get double. T- Jake also was surrounded by two very good age groups. He, he had good players like David Felton in his own age group. Um, David Felton's one of like the ultimate go basketball glue guys. He's like, I wouldn't say Robert Ori-ish, but he's more like uh, Lamar Lamar Odom. Yeah. He was more Lamar Odom-ish where he was like a Swiss army knife that could do it all. Uh, Really got very good as older he. So Jake had felt in, the, uh, in, in his age group, but he also the age group below him, uh, wow. Alex Tanner, Tanner and, oh. and Salzburg, probably top to bottom the strongest age group there was. And then wow. the age above him was like Danny DeVere, who was one who's probably also on 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 this list. So Jake was a who benef- was was uh, was benefited by awesome supporting cast, but Jake was definitely in this group. So. I would say Sam, Jake, Evan for sure. Those are the big um, three. Uh, yes. I mean, the other guys are going to mention probably have an argument, but I think those three are the are would get unanimous votes. And I those think those would get, and I think those three have probably racked up more all around camper awards and all around athlete awards in their careers. They're all three just such great kids. Yeah. I know Jake, when he was 12, started in the toilet paper game at Brant and had zero points and apparently had to be pulled he was crying. And he was 12 years old, but he came back the next summer like a grown-up and basically dominated for the next three years. Um, Jake was also the kind of guy, like, he obviously had the pressure of Sam above him, but also Jake was also the guy like, dude, you're so much bigger than everybody. Like, how are you not dominating? And he's probably saying it in, in his head because uh, I'm 11 years old and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> once, yeah but once he knew what he was doing once he knew what he was doing he was he was unstoppable he was un- and all three of those guys were amazingly coachable um and you didn't really have to worry about them on, on on the court and uh maddie to go back to what you were saying about styles of play when jake and sam played there were a lot more plays being called just yeah because that's the way basketball was and jake being a big man you almost had to make sure that he got the ball so the areas were different, but those three definitely first team all bacon guys post 1991
0: So now, who who comes else? We have two more spots on the all-time first team.
1: Greg, you got anybody? I uh, I mean, I know one, who I think. I mean, you mentioned going to go anybody, mention but, it before. Try, let me try and guess who you got. Uh, Danny Devere, Danny Devere is okay. one. And, and I'm thinking, are you going to go with? Hold on a second. Uh, you're not going to go with a Canner, right? No, I think Alex is right on the outside. Um, he's got a ridiculous resume, but I think these other guys are a leg up on Alex. Matt, do you think you know?
0: How? I mean, what what year are we going to?
1: If you give it to the year, you're going to get Oh, yeah, We're going to go 1991
0: until now. Oof. has it been in my time here.
1: Uh, no, no. (laughs) All right, let's just go Danny DeVere first. A little background on Danny DeVere. The DeVere family is from California, much like Danny and I are. And so we always felt like a little bit of a kinship. Danny DeVere was also my roommate for a year after he graduated college. Uh, Also, again, an unbelievable guy. Uh, One of the better hangs you could have. And he had a hair summer. What was his hair summer? His hair summer... He had like a, I think he had a hair summer when he was in Bunk 22, but he also might have had a hair summer in his account, as a counselor. Yeah, I think he did have a hair summer. He was just he was just a ball of energy, played so hard every single second. He was a good shooter. He was coachable. He was a rah-rah guy, and he probably played both ends of the floor as well as anybody. Yeah, so Danny DeVere, un- undersized point guard, um, but somehow it always played one or two acres up, and would played big minutes. He's another, he, he did a lot of intangibles where he got in the game, the crowd got fired up. He got in the game, his teammates all of a sudden had had more energy. Um, his leadership, he's probably the best. Like when you look up like, Oh, that's a team leader in, in the dictionary. He's the one that probably checks the most boxes. Um, cause he did it by example and he did it vocally. Um, he's the kind of guy that can control a game without ever taking a shot yeah Um, when he was a waiter we won 16s and he completely dominated the tournament and i don't even know if he made if he even took more than three shots he just he handled the ball he had the tightest handle could go right could go left um when he was younger he was a ridiculous shooter and he was fearless when he was 12 years old he started in 14s and I remember he forced a jump ball with a kid who had a beard that literally
2: lifted him <laughs> the ground. And it was Baco Ball, and he went to the hill and like told every. I mean, the, the the guy was unbelievable, and he,
1: um, and he backed it up by winning. I, I mean, he won thirteens when he was a year below. He won fourteens when it was his year. He won sixteens when it was his year. He was part of like all sorts of other teams that won it, and. You know, he played the top of the two three like he was three different people. He he was everywhere. Uh, and the, 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 he's going to kill me for bringing this up, but he does have a blemish on his record. What is hair summer? Uh, but no, I liked his hair summer. He was great. That both of those hair summers. But he, uh, I think it was Danny Devier. Corey Springer was coaching his team, and they went to whatever tournament. I, I don't even know which one. Danny Devier yeah. was, yeah. was at Timberlake. It was he wasn't feeling well, and so he he had. Uh, he went to the infirmary and he got he got Nyquil and like slept the whole bus ride and just never snapped out
2: of it. it was like in a funk wow. the whole time during the tournament. Yeah. But I mean, that's you know that's it happens. like Michael yeah, Jordan right. retired.
1: Yeah, Michael Jordan retired at his prime. I think Danny DeVere can have a cold. You know. Yeah, Danny DeVere, He um like I said when he was younger, he was a ridiculous shooter. He had the shot from below his waist. Where if you if he was open, it was down. So when he was twelve yeah he would play with older kids and if the other team left him open at all it didn't matter if he was 12 if he got an open shot it was it would it was in and the summer between when he was 13 and 14 he broke both of his wrists uh sorry the school year he broke both of his wrists so his jump shot sort of disappeared for the rest of his camper career and he was still unbelievable he would still you know weave in and out of teams and pick off steals and drop dimes to Jake Ower and you know, hit Langus in the corner for threes, and and he, he he would control the game on both ends without ever getting a you know without ever getting a rebound or scoring a point. He was he he's he's just the true essence
2: of like a Baco basketball team leader. Who's our fifth? Who's our fifth? Yes. Yeah, so who's I the? Got,
1: I gotta go with Paul Emden just on a straight talent. Oh, right, um, Yeah. I mean, he's 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 just a great basketball player. Yeah. I think straight up talent. Um, Paul Emden, he he played in a pretty decent age group, um, at Baco, but he ran up against a brand Laker who ended up being Ivy league player of the year. And is, I think playing pro and overseas right now. So he kind of you know, like a six, four point yeah. brand Lake had, but
2: Paul just straight up explosiveness. And, uh, Just, you know, when you watch Paul play, you're like, wow,
1: that guy is playing basketball at a different speed at a different level. But, you know, he didn't have the championships to back it up. And also, Paul, he didn't didn't have a long vehicle career, right? Well, his last two summers, summers, he left camp and came back, uh, you know, because he was doing like the AAU thing. And similar to what Evan did this summer, but I feel like he missed more time. And just, you know, he ran into a bad, you know, it's like when... uh, you know, it's like the Utah Jazz running. I was about to
0: say all that, all that years, it's like so. Stockton and alone against Jordan.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah um, that's, ex- that's exactly what it was like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would say other guys that come to my mind that you know, if I ever run into them around the city, um, that would say, "Hey, how come you didn't mention me?" It would be the whole Barouche, Zach, Emden, Liddy triumvirate group that won a bunch, and they were good. The Glazer um, brothers. the Glazer brothers. Uh, Corey. Corey, 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 Corey yeah, he was a late bloomer. bloomer. Jimmy was part of that amazing basketball bunk, and he was right in the middle of it. But I think Alex Tanner, um, you know, started up up a year, and Alex Tanner was involved in like a lot of those titles. I, I think Tanner's the one. He's probably the most decorated. That's not on our list. Um, I, I would. I, I give. I give an early like talk about early bloomers, an early Chris Georges nod. He was, yeah. he was a beast when he, between 12 and 14 or 15 before everyone caught up to him. And he was, you know, triple the size of everybody. He had an earring. He could dribble with both hands. He, he was like Barkley in 93 where he just go yeah. coast to coast. So, and, and we went up against a really, really tough brand team. Those years we had a, a kid that ended up playing at Syracuse. And so we only won one year when we were 12, but every other year, Chris was, he was, he looked like he was a counselor. You know, it was that Yeah. I think um, other guys that deserve mentioned from, from the 90s are, uh, you know, Josh Browse was another incredible offensive player. Um, he's, you know, most people know it know his name because he couldn't hit three consecutive foul shots but as far as an all-around basketball player he was incredible um brandon weinberg brandon, if you can brandon weinberg he, he was the original he was the original jason Willett, he was the original white chocolate I mean, yeah. he uh he was also the first dallas first and only dallas maverick fan in camp and yeah. as, he was such a good basketball player but he bricked a layup at uh, like the end of the four teams tournament that I, yeah, it, just, this just, is another podcast unto itself. He would. He, he, that's, that's a thirty. That's, that's, that's a 30, for 30. thirty. Yeah, he had an open layup to basically win 14s and, and, and he missed it. It's like Mr. Um, Destiny. It's like Mr. Destiny, the movie. Um,
0: so, how would you guys, compare how the experience has changed on the hill? The evolution well, of I, the Baco I, Pride I that, chant. That's
1: a, that's a great question. So, Danny and I still to this day. I don't think this will surprise anybody. To this day, we still talk about the 14 and under team from 1989 that starred Andrew Grable in the middle, J.D. and Chip on the on the wings, uh, 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 one and done, or maybe a, a two-year camper Jeremiah Barenberg, and then Lance Hellring in the backcourt. And I remember that game that tournament like it was yesterday. And I think still to this day, when the kids are on the hill watching those games it's like it's imprinted in their brains forever. Yeah. They, re, they remember everything. I mean, Danny and I still talk about Tommy Strominger's double-double in the night game. What, what year was that, Danny? It His later summer, 1992. I mean, it might as well happen 20 minutes ago. That's how, I, that's how well yeah. I remember it. I still think that that atmosphere on the hill, like that first time, is, because it's such a unique day uh, in camp that it tattoos on, on their brain. Um, just like the first time you ever see... You know the waiters running out. When you think of an Olympics break, for the rest of your life, you always think about the first one. Um, so I think
2: the the intensity on the hill when you're a kid. You know, it's hard to remember what it was like when I was ten. Um, yeah, but right. it's all it, it's it's always been great. Um,
1: I would say some of the unique things now that some of our alumni listeners might not know is you know we have an organ playing now. You know that didn't exist when I watched the game. You know and that didn't exist worked.
0: like three years ago.
1: Yeah, and also, hey, hey don't don't sleep on the G Dog
0: pillow either. Of course. Yeah. So there's also there's a there's a camper. Greg, you want to explain the G Dog pillow? Now, counselor. Uh, Maddie, you want to do it? Of course. So G Dog <laughs> is in our bog, and for his bar mitzvah, which was now probably four four plus years ago. Uh at the Bar Mitzvah they printed um like pillows to go on the couches with his picture on it. And somehow those uh pillows with his picture G Dog's picture on it ended up in the hands of multiple Baco campers and bar mitzvah attendees who then decided to bring those pillows to camp and hold up the pictures of G Dog as the opposing team was shooting at the free throw line, which is uh, certainly one of the more odd distractions you could I give think, someone. I, I, I think I think during a game this year, I don't know if it was uh,
1: Danny was coaching it or refing it, Danny must have been reffing it. At a timeout, he went over to the crowd and was like I thought he was gonna tell him to like keep it down or get back, move back. He's like so he's a guy's like what what's up with the G Dog this year? Oh, it's you still know? around that was, that was, that was yeah, it's like in those college games, you see them holding up a big hedge, but this is like G-Dog like, eating a wig on a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all so ridiculous. But um, I think the the viewing, viewing experience, you know, it changes with the times. I think we're like advanced now where we got like the better speakers and, you know, but we're still running out of bunk 13 and there's still...
0: And how would you compare the noise factor when a game, when a rain delay, you mentioned that, that one game moved to the old dome. How would you compare the old oh, dome man. atmosphere to the Superdome now? I mean, I love the Superdome, and um, Superdome
2: has been an amazing thing for camp. But the dome was
1: definitely a louder, more unique craziness. It was much harder to play. The, yes. the free throw yeah, line was, was small, It was a smaller court. The lines weren't right in a few of those years. Um, where the Superdome, it's like, you know, that game that you talked about where Kinsey made the half-court shot, That you know, it, it, it was raining that day. Um, the guys that play in that game, you know, we, we were running the same offense all summer, and that was, I think, the first game we had in the Superdome. They noticed like, the extra foot and a half of width. They're like, God, there's, like, so much space. Yeah. So much space. The Superdome is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a regulation high school court, and um, it's just such a scene in there. And when, you know, when Rick's pumping the music, that seems so much more professional. Maddie, can we do a podcast down the road on, like, the best moments in Superdome history over the past 11 years? Of
0: course. I mean, <laughs> let's, there's... Let's do that. But like when you think about the dome now, because obviously since I've came to camp, it's always been the domeless dome, which is just the court that no one ever wants to play on because the balls were all down the hill. Um, but when you think back, are you, is, do you view the dome more like Shea Stadium, where like oh that thing was gross, but like we kind of still love it, or is it? Are this is this more of like a Three Rivers Stadium experience, where just like. I cannot even think about that thing. It was the worst. I, I gotta go three rivers.
2: I, I I'm was on three was, rivers. Yeah, it was not. I a, hated. I I hated.
1: You know, especially because my game was always a shooter, um, or at least I shot the ball. I'm not saying I, I was a shooter. And you just go into the
2: dome and everything. You know, the backboards marked. it. It, it was. It, it was a throwaway.
1: It was like you were playing a different sport in there, where the Superdome. I mean, just having. I mean. A few years ago, I moved basically all practices
0: up to the Superdome exclusively, just because you had the six baskets. And you, you don't, don't have, have the, the distraction of the people. Yeah, you don't have the mortars. distraction. Where... Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, the Superdome's been amazing. It's I remember your when your uncle yeah. was there for Rookie Day, and he came
1: up to... Uh, you and him were talking by the Superdome where the guys were getting ready for the for the practice for the night game, and he saw everybody walk in, and he saw the six baskets going for like our pre-practice shooting. He he couldn't believe it. He's like, "This is amazing, you know. If you want to do that on the courts, you got to take up all six baskets. He was yeah. got it all in one spot, and you know it's, it's a it's, it's a high school gym with an amazing view. So, that is true. Um, yeah, it uh the Super, the Superdome has been huge for for. For camp, but specifically the Baco Basketball program. Yeah, and
0: I want to just wrap up. So, obviously, we've talked about the greats in Baco Basketball history, but just looking at the last couple years as kind of the evolution of Baco Basketball to where we sit today. When you look at Baco basketball and you put it in the context of history as as long as you've been there and you think about the current generation of players and the players coming down the pipeline, whether it's Eli Greenberger who's going to be a waiter this year or the... Uh, Jaden fisher Day and Beef Stew age group. And then you look past that, you have the Burks, Lev Stahl. You look down the pipeline and you just see domination from Baco. Has there ever been a time in the history of Adirondack basketball where you can think of Baco having just such a dominating edge over the competition?
1: Yes. Um. Think when I was growing up in camp, it wasn't there. I think when the Greek, when Eric and Scott Greenberger and Dave Onick and those guys uh, graduated onto the staff, we had like a huge lull, like a decade long lull. But then right. once Sammy Ower and Jake Ower and Danny Devere and Alex Canner and that punch. group. Punch, punch yeah, pudge. Yeah. So we kind of had from basically it was it's gone away like, from from like 1998 until about. 2008. We had from 1998 to about 2004, we had a really, really good run, which was like the Ower De Beer, Alex Tanner, Glazer run. Yeah. And then that was still like in the close rearview mirror when Barouche and Zach Endon and Liddy won theirs. But
0: from like 08 to like basically 2018, I would say basically from. I would say it was dry from 08 to the game in that night game at the Superdome yeah. where yeah. everything changed. When Ginsey
1: hit that Everything can just go back to Ginsey hit that shot. Yeah, but I think from 98 to 08, there weren't any dry spells, which was kind of nice. Um, but hey, I mean, we we've, we've got two huge summers the last two summers. And like you said, the, the future looks bright with the talent going all the way down to the junior division. I mean, this year, like six, seven, and eight even was loaded with, uh, you know, was loaded with talent. So, um, yeah, I mean, it looks good. It looks good.
0: It certainly so. does. So, so uh, we are now deep into this podcast. So if you are still listening to us geek out about Baco basketball history, we thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys, well, Great and Danny.
2: Maddie, Maddie, I say one more thing. Of but course, it, yeah. We can talk about we can talk about Baco basketball all day
1: long. I think the coolest thing about it is all these heroes that we've been talking about, you know, they they celebrate with their bunkmates when their bunkmates get around the lake on skis, or you know, kick butt in a big show, or score a winning goal in soccer, or, you know, just do, lead a hilarious song about milk and cookies. You know, everybody is a, is yeah. a hero. You know, every yeah, single we, person we is a hero. Do, we can we do, as in-depth of a podcast, of about Twenty-five other types of things in camp, you know, and who knows? Maybe if we have time to do it, of course we should, and we should get on here and talk about, you know, the top <laughs> five greatest big show performances. I think we okay, got time. time. I think would be a time. great I think, one. I think so, we got so. time. I think we got time to do it. Thanks, Matty. Yeah.